Missouri Governor Mike Parson surprised many within the state's political universe when he decided not to call a special session on congressional redistricting. That could mean that lawmakers from both parties could have leverage to change what the boundaries are for Missouri's eight congressional districts. State Representative Donna Berenger is on a House committee dealing with redistricting, and the St. Louis Democrat joins us for the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about the once-every-ten-year process. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today, she is the state representative for Missouri's 82nd district, and she will always be the emeritus state representative and alderwoman for Jason Rosenbaum. Donna Berenger. Yes, uh, Representative Berenger used to represent me in both of those uh, governmental jurisdictions. Alas, I now live in the 83rd district away from the city of St. Louis. But always great to see you and great to talk with you. And, you know, typically we we, we just sort of slink into redistricting on these shows, like later on in the episodes. We're going to just start with redistricting right (laughs) off the front. Uh, You can't see this right now, but actually... Representative Berenger came very prepared. She has a map. She has data because you are on the House Redistricting Committee. Why in the world did you want to be involved in this process, first of all? Uh, Well, we are put on there by the Speaker of the House. So he nominates us. And I guess um, I was involved in redistricting for the city of St. Louis as an alderman back in uh, 2010. But the other reason is is that um, I'm very, I look at all the numbers, I look at the data, and then I look for what's not there in the data. And I wanted to make sure that this is a very accurate, fair, and transparent process. And I think I'll be able to do that. I mean, I already was pulling maps a month ago looking at, you know, census data and turnouts for different elections just so I can start feeling comfortable with what I'm going to be looking at moving forward. Were you surprised when Governor Parson said he wasn't going to call a special session on redistricting? Yes, I was. Um, And not only surprised, I'm a little concerned. And that has to do with the fact that right now, whether it's the House or the Senate, we are extremely polarized. And we are using a lot of legislation to move other legislation. And I feel we should say hyper-focused on redistricting and not let anyone use it to try and move something else that's a part of their agenda. Well, I could think of three separate camps um, that could try to hold bills hostage in order to get a better map. One of them is the Democrats. Like, if the Senate Democrats wanted to start killing Republican priorities to make sure that the second congressional district, which is held by Ann Wagner now, uh, remains competitive enough for them to, you know, have a chance, are to prevent Republicans from chopping up the fifth district by Emanuel Cleaver. They have tons of leverage now. But I think that on the other side of the spectrum, I could see some conservative Republicans, particularly from St. Charles County, that want St. Charles County in one district, start holding things like 
authorization for Medicaid expansion, funding for American Rescue Plan things hostage un- until they get their way. And that's not even taking into account that there's a lot of lawmakers that want to run for Congress because there's at least two open seats right now. How do you get through this impending chaos? <laughs> well, um, I'm going to do what I normally do is I'm going to have the facts and I'm going to have the law on my side. So there's there's a couple of things I want to clarify, just in case the listeners aren't aware. I'm on the congressional redistricting, which only deals with the congressional seats. And we have a House Congressional Committee that was appointed by the Speaker of the House, and we have a Senate con- District Committee, and that was appointed by Schatz, Speaker Pro Tem. Senate President Pro Tem Dave Schatz, a Republican from Sullivan, but continue. Yes. And then you have the House and Senate uh, redistricting, which was a commission that was put together by our governor, and it has equal amounts of Democrats and Republicans. And the House just had their very first committee hearing, and the Senate had theirs as well. And the Senate lasted, I think, about an hour, and the House lasted eight hours. Yes, I, I was watching that even though I was off. Um, I am on record of saying that I really doubt either of those commissions are going to come up with a map because you need to get four Democrats to join with all the Republicans to vote for something. Uh, I think with the acrimony in the House Commission, I think the chances of that happening are zero. And I'm not really confident the Senate Commission is going to be either because unless the map is favorable to Democrats, like why would they vote for that? Why wouldn't they just take their chances with the judge, like the appellate judges that would draw it? Is that your feeling as well? Or do you think that these commissions could actually come up with something? I think no matter what, you you should do the best you can, like I'm going to do, even though I was told, oh, the congressional seats aren't going to change. I disagree because we are seeing different populations move different directions. And so if you leave it up to the courts, so first of all, the courts don't want it. This is a hot potato. They don't want to get involved. I, we're talking about state legislative redistricting now. Yes. They hate being a part of this process. That is correct. And and they will do whatever they can to draw a map and leave as quickly as possible. But, con- but continue. Or they can hand it over to a demographer. Mm. And that demographer could design the map any way they want because then they wouldn't have to do it and they could assign someone to do it. So you don't know what you're getting. So what I've told people is no matter which one you're on, whether you're on the the House or you're on the congressional like I am, you need to come up with good maps and you need to be able to fight for the maps you have and fight in the manner that a judge or anyone else that read them would say this is fair and it is impartial. So let's go back to congressional because that's Mm -hmm. the one where lawmakers do have voting power. You live in the first congressional district right now, which is currently held by Cori Bush. It was, I mean, I lived in St. Louis when Russ Carnahan represented part of St. Louis. St. Louis City used to be part of two congressional districts. Um, That's it, it, that's not it's going to be Saint, the city of St. Louis is going to be all in the first. Is that a fair assumption? I make no assumptions. Yeah, because I look at numbers. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at districts, you have to look at population gain, population lost. The first congressional district lost 47,000 voters. So they have to find 47,000 voters. Mm-hmm. So which way are they going to go? Well, we have what's called communities of interest. And communities of interest, let's say, might uh, be a population that represents something in particular, and it could be uh, an ethnicity. And so when you look at where did the population move that left, that's 47,000, that population has moved into St. Charles. Mm -hmm. So when the seat has to figure out where to find the 47,000, by law, you have to follow where they moved. You follow the people. So I think what you're referring to is the first district 
when it was drawn in 2011, is a minority plurality district, which means that it has a plurality of African-Americans that live there. And it's the only district in the state that is protected by the Voting Rights Act. So what are you saying that maybe what should happen is they should that that uh, the legislators should actually look to moving this into St. Charles because there may be enough African-Americans there to keep it in that VRA designation? I'm saying from what I've learned on redistricting, mm-hmm. and I went to a whole seminar on this, yeah. that it doesn't matter which district we're looking at. When you have a loss of population and it is a certain ethnicity, you need to go find where the ethnicity went. Mm. And in the case of the first congressional district, they just kept moving towards St. Charles. Mm -hmm. Now, I got to just ask this question because um, I have sensed that there is a real tension within Democrats in St. Louis about the first district being the way the first district is. And I mean, historically, going back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, This was a district where Black Democrats and Republicans worked together at the expense of white Democrats, especially in the 60s. And what I'm getting at here is by having a congressional district that's primarily African-American, it makes the surrounding districts more Republican. So there's that mutual interest there. Have you have you heard about that kind of deal? And is that something do you have any like strong opinions about that one way or the other? Well, whether you're looking at congressional redistricting or House or Senate redistricting, there's a lingo we use. It's called packing or stacking. Mm. And what they did in 2010 is they packed. And what that means is, whether you're Democrat or Republican, we set the entire state up in Missouri as packed seats, which means there's very few flippable because everyone in them is either Republican or Democrat. End of story. So when you have all packed seats, it's not going to do a whole whole lot if you don't change it. So when you look at what's called stacked seats, stacks means there's some margin where you have the ability for someone from the other party to win. And so that's what should have been looked at. It should always be looked at that way. You should never have it where no one ever has anyone run against them. They are self-preserving themselves. They don't have to worry about running a race because it's a shoe in If we continue that way, then we continue to get what we get. So when voters say to me, Donna, what do we do in the state of Missouri? Come on. You know, we're not always being listened to. I tell them it comes down to redistricting. And if we're going to have packed seats, whether it's a House seat, Senate seat or congressional seat, you will you will get exactly what we're getting now for the next 10 years. It will not change. Now, the other thing that I think is going to be a big conflict Uh, among Republicans is what to do with the second congressional district, where you don't live, but you're still going to vote on a map all the same. I I think that there is going to be an effort to make the second district, which I would argue is the only stacked district in the state right now. I mean, it's 50-50 between Trump and Biden, even though Ann Wagner won by 6%. Uh, I think that they I think that Republicans are going to try to make that into a plus 10 Republican district. Is is there anything that Democrats can do to stop that? Or is that just basically fait accompli at this point? Well, right now, and like I said, with the congressional committees, we're set up so it is majority Republican. Mm -hmm. However, you have areas of Jefferson County where the population popped and they're going and they have three Congress people and they don't want three. They may want two or they may want one. And they're going to be argue arguing amongst themselves 
So the Democrats will matter because they're going to have someone that they're going to have to turn to to say, well, this is how we want it. And then the other ones will say, well, this is how we want it. And then we'll be able to say, well, this is how it should be. So just like the gas tax, (laughs) you guys will be actually big players in deciding the outcome. I mean, wouldn't you rather have if you had a choice between the second district being all having all of St. Charles are mostly Jeffco. Wouldn't you choose Jeffco just because it was more democratic more recently, and you may have a better chance of pulling that closer to fifty-fifty? Whereas, I mean, I don't think St. Charles will ever be a democratic county at this point. Well, okay, so uh, this isn't about my, and I try to make sure people understand. I'm trying to keep my personal opinion separate from when I'm looking at redistricting. Sure. And the reason I say it that way is because. The other factor that's not been brought up, which I found very interesting in doing my homework, is that the people who are moving out to St. Charles are the millennials, the millennials that actually put Cori Bush into office. Mm. They were renters. So now they're buying houses, but they're buying houses out in St. Charles. Mm-hmm. So you now you have a whole nother influx. It's not going to be in this census, right? Mm-hmm. But it is going to be coming up when they start voting in the next presidential. So we're not going to see it yet. But that's who's buying the houses. But but I do just got to push back a little bit. Like Cory Bush got like 60 plus percent in like the 16th Ward and the 23rd Ward. And I guarantee you that it wasn't just renters voting for her. It was Correct. homeowners there. Mm-hmm. So w- what would you say to that? Like the numbers don't really support that it was only renters that supported Cory Bush based off the numbers. No. And I wouldn't want you to think I meant that in yeah. any way. But <laughs> but I guess I'm thinking more of the Central West End. Okay. Because that is where we got the influx of almost 8,000 new residents in the city of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And so the Central West End tends to be transient. And the reason it's transient, only because you have all those hospitals, doctors, researchers. Mm -hmm. So they come in, they live here for maybe two to five years because they're doing their residency. Mm. Or they're baby boomers and they sold their house way out in St. Albans. They they like the urban life. Mm -hmm. So they live in the Central West End. So that's where the big... Plus, that's the only place we grew in the state of St. Louis was the Central West End. And that's our most that's the, a large transient population. Now, uh, you are a St. Louis uh, lawmaker, but I do think another subplot is going to be whether Republicans try to turn the fifth district in Kansas City, as I mentioned, which is held by Emmanuel Cleaver, into a Republican district. Now, I'm not in that camp. I think that Republicans are going to leave that district alone because it would if you do it incorrectly, you could make the surrounding districts more Democratic. And in a wave Democratic year, you go from having three Republican seats on the western side of the states into three Democratic seats. But I mean, there's going to be a lot of national pressure for them, for Republicans to maximize the amount of people that they can bring into the U.S. House. And that could be why that assumption falls apart. I understand that Republicans are giving away their secret strategy to you. But what's kind of your anticipation about what happens in the 5th District? So once again, I'm from the east side of the state, and that's the west side of the state. But I have tried to learn as much as I can. And I have a lot of family members that now live in Kansas City proper. So I've been going there a lot. And I I find Kansas City very unique in the way it's set up. Um, I also find that they have a very large immigrant population. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they don't vote in that manner, but they are a huge number for that district. And you also have where I think we've picked up two or three seats. We flipped over on that side of the state to Democrat. And so if you look at it from that perspective, if they think they're going to be, if they change it and they think by expanding it or moving it, 
I don't think it's going to help them. I, I think Kansas City is very, the way it's set up right now, I think it's going to stay the same. Really quickly before we go into break, I want to go into state legislative redistricting. Uh, one of the realities about uh, the population loss in the city is the city will still have two state senate seats with city territory but the fourth district which you currently live in i currently live in because i live in richmond heights it does go in a little bit in the county i would expect that the fourth is going to have to expand even more into the county and it, it may still be majority city territory or population but it's going to be i'll have a lot more county residents and that could change the dynamics of who ends up winning that seat uh because I think historically, the city, the city of St. Louis has already always had either two or three city residents in the Senate. It's very possible that they can only have one, like you could have a county resident representing the fourth. Is that something you're concerned about? Or do you think that the city is strong enough to withstand that change? I would be very concerned about that. And that's because as a local elected official up in Jefferson City, the need to have representation by the city of St. Louis, of somebody who understands the city of St. Louis, is vital. I spend most of session trying to ward off, you know, legislation that comes after the city. And you have to know what's going on to, un- to see that and to care, to understand the implications. And so if we don't have good representation that's from the city of St. Louis, then more of that legislation will continue to go through and then we're not going to have the fighters there to fight it. We'll be right back after this quick break with State Representative Donna Berenger. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative Donna Berenger. She is a Democrat from St. Louis. We're going to continue in the environment of elections because you are on the Elections Committee, um, which always has a lot of interesting legislation that goes through it. Uh, This year, though, I wouldn't say that there was any elections-related bills of note that passed, which I was frankly kind of surprised about because I really thought there would be enough momentum for something to pass. What happened? Here's what I think happened. Um, We heard all these bills and we passed them out of the committee. But like you said, they didn't come to the floor and we didn't debate them on the floor. So at the end, we put what we call an omnibus bill together. And this bill had every single bill that had been heard in committee inside of it. So it was the good, the bad, the ugly. And so it'd be very difficult for anyone, including myself. My own legislation was in that bill, and I couldn't vote for it because there was stuff in it that was so terrible. Yeah. Well, the the main things that I saw from from that aforementioned legislation was reinstating government-issued photo ID, which is a big priority of Republicans, and pretty much every Democrat I found does not support it. I don't think you support it either. Is that fair to say? Well, what I have said, and I've said it in committee, and I will continue to say it, is that um, my biggest concern has to be with the fact that when you become a registered voter in the state of Missouri, you should be given an ID from the Secretary of State's office. That should be their job. Mm -hmm. And under our Constitution, and that's why this gets thrown out uh, when it goes to court, it says the Secretary of State's office is the only office that should be giving out any type of an ID Mm -hmm. that you can vote with. And I said, if you were given a number, like a social security number Mm -hmm. that you stayed with, no matter where you went that, or lived or voted in the state of Missouri, that that would follow you and you'd keep that ID. Mm -hmm. That'd take care of all this. Well, I think that the reason why maybe this could have been able to pass was because there was also efforts to include uh, no excuse in-person absentee voting. 
I've talked about this a lot on the show. Missouri has this frankly goofy system where you have to check off an excuse, like you're you're incapacitated, out of you're town. out of town. You have a religious objection, I think. There used to be a COVID exception, but not anymore. And the reason I'm I'm saying this is so pejoratively is because there's no way for election officials to actually verify whether any of the things you check off is true. And there's nothing that you, there's nobody's gonna get punished by, by checking off, I'm out of town when you're not. But a, a lot of Republicans wanna keep it in place and are not comfortable with going no excuse absentee. Um, why is that when they're defending a system that doesn't work? And this is not my opinion. I've talked with a lot of elections officials They've all told me the same thing. This excuse system is unenforceable. And, and, and basically what it does is it scares people into thinking they're committing a crime that they're never going to be caught for. Well, that's going to be part of the bill that's going to be introduced at the beginning of the year when we go back in session. And that's in there, which is three weeks, no excuse, absentee, in-person voting. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's going to – I don't think we're going to have a problem with that. It may be what else is inside of there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, continue. Well, I, I also, I don't know if you want me to bring up the fact that uh, dead people technically aren't yes, supposed to vote. Yes, we, we talked about this before <laughs> the show. Tell me what you're talking about there. I mean, it, so, it, it sounds kind of spooky, mm-hmm. but it's not. So um, we have somebody, um, if you've ever been on the House floor, that always yells that dead people vote. Well, she's actually correct. So in the state of Missouri, the law says that if you turn in your absentee ballot— and then you die between when that vote should be cast and when the election is, that we're supposed to pull that ballot. Well, you can do that if you live in a small town and you're at the grocery store and you know, oh, here's Sally had a heart attack. No, I'm going to run down to the courthouse and we're going to pull her envelope for her absentee ballot. That's the law in the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. If you die, we're supposed to pull the ballot. Mm-hmm. However, right, people like myself, I've told my husband, if I'm sick, I'm going to go down and I'm going to vote in person because it goes into what we call the bucket. Mm-hmm. And the bucket means is that it's automatically cast the vote, but they're not going to be able to go figure out which ballot is mine. And mm. the reason I feel I have the right to have my vote counted, even if I should pass on between when I cast my vote and when the election took place, is because even after I die, the government's going to come after my taxes. Ah, uh, yes. So you, what would you want to do to allow for somebody's vote to count? If they cast a vote legally and then they pass away, yeah, that's in that that was in that bill. It just basically said that if you cast your vote while you are alive, it still counts Mm -hmm. because that was the issue. It's like if you get in a car accident the next day, Mm -hmm. then your vote's not supposed to count. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't know you were going to die, so but you certainly knew that you wanted to vote and who you're going to vote for. Yeah. Well, I want to also talk about the city board of elections because I I heard that you were working with them to maybe get some more money to update their systems. Can you kind of explain like what that will do? So in the city of St. Louis, um, the machines we have are uh, 20, almost 23 years old Mm -hmm. and they weren't supposed to be used past 20 years. And so we have problems when you go to vote in the city of St. Louis using those machines, they don't calibrate correctly. Mm. So you may, let's say you punched my name to vote for me, Mm -hmm. but then it shows that you, it shows my opponent. Uh, then we have to go in and we have to go fix that machine. And that does happen because of the age. So before COVID, nobody had money. So when I found out that we were going to be getting all these hundreds of millions, you know, I very firmly said, and I don't think anyone 
is going to argue with me, and it's going to happen, that we need at least $5 million so the city of St. Louis can get the machines, and if we can afford it and do it, that we'd be able to use the same type to use in St. Louis County so you could walk into any place and request your ballot. I had, and this is, I may be getting this wrong, but I had heard the reason why St. Louis could not do ranked choice voting is because the machines would not allow them to do it. So you had to go through with this approval voting system, which I think is, to put it mildly, controversial, basically. Like, do you think that this could be, if you upgraded these machines, do you think that St. Louis City would be able to do ranked choice voting instead of approval voting. It would it would depend on what software they buy. Yeah. And you are correct. What they have now will not allow for that. But let me tell you another thing that that's going to impact. Not this time, but the next time mm-hmm. we go through redistricting. Mm-hmm. When you do the ranked choice and you do especially the property that we pass in the city of St. Louis, you don't declare what party you're with. Yeah. And when we put these maps together, we do it based on if you voted Democrat or Republican. So if you're not voting based on Democrat or Republican in the city of St. Louis in 10 years, if we're going to look at any municipal elections, mm-hmm. we're not going to know. Are those Democrat votes or are those Republicans? So when we are doing redistricting and we're looking at maps and we look at what, how, what we're going to quantify to use. We can't use ballot initiatives because just because you voted for right to work mm-hmm. or you voted for Medicare expansion, that does not tell us if you yeah. are a Republican or a Democrat. But couldn't you use like congressional or, or state legislative primaries to figure out voter preference? Like why do you need to use municipal elections? Yo, oh, absolutely you can. Okay. But people like me, I have been looking at municipal elections because <laughs> I want to see the, what the difference is. Right. And, uh, and we've talked about this before on this show. Like you live in an area where there are actual Republicans that vote in Republican primaries uh, municipally. Now those Republicans can all do what they've been doing for years and just vote in one primary, basically. But that's a whole nother story altogether. I do want to talk about Prop D a little bit because... I think that there were some real issues that may need to be sorted out. Like, number one, and I talked about this before, there were aldermanic races where somebody won 75-25 against one candidate and then had to run against that person again. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, people may be like, oh, let's shed a bunch of tears for, you know, incumbent that's going to win twice that has to spend more money. But I'm like... Why should they have to run two elections when they're clearly going to win that? Well, that's it. And that's the fiscal aspect. Yeah. And so that's what I tell people. I said, you know, I understand um, when you want change and yeah. you're frustrated, you want it. But when you t- pick something out that has not been tried and true tested, and then you don't talk to other people who could actually give you the what if or but for. Mm-hmm. And the example I would have said was exactly what you just said, which is you have two people, that's it that's in the race, and they have to run two races. Why is that a big deal? Because that means you have to open up polling places. That means you have to have poll workers. That means you have to have more um, software. It costs money to run elections. And that will matter in a, in a, in a contest where there's, well, I guess there's always going to be a citywide election because there's a citywide election Uh, with the mayor and the comptroller, and there's also citywide election for Board of Aldermen president. So, I mean, you're going to have to have polling places open no matter what. But it doesn't really make a lot of logical sense that if you beat somebody 75-25, you should have to beat them again 75-25. And I guess you could say the same could go if you're running against two opponents and you beat the two opponents 
80-10-10, I don't really know why you need to run that race again. You are correct. The question is, do you, can you do that through the charter or do you have to take it back to the vote of the people? I don't know. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know. I think that that's something maybe the, the Board of Aldermen will have to do. I mean, you still follow, follow, follow city politics. Do you think like the board and the mayor is cohesive enough to do something like that or any other big thing right now? Or do you think it's going to be gridlock and you're just glad you're super far away from that? at this point. <laughs> no, what I think is happening now is the reality of cutting the board alderman in half is moving forward. And people are just sitting there going, I have no idea what we're going to do. And even though while I was still an alderman, I had wanted to start working on what does that look like? No one would do it. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to have to, you know, they're gonna, they are going to have to hurry up and quickly come up with a process to decide I've seen a couple people that show me a couple ideas mm-hmm. so that your ward wouldn't be, actually be contiguous. It would actually be more by neighborhood mm-hmm. so that you could have maybe, you know, you might have St. Louis Hills and Tower Grove and, you know. I don't know how you could do that without making it contiguous. You'll run into so many legal issues of doing that. It's called cluster mapping. I do think that there is a ballot initiative that wants to take it away from the alderman and put it into the hands of like a committee or something like that. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the timeline for that. Like it would have to pass and then go into effect pretty quickly. But you you went through this situation where you you as an alder person dealt with redistricting. You're going through it now as a state legislator. Is it better for legislators not to be directly involved in that process? What, what's your thought about that? I think it should be both. Mm. And the reason I say both is because as a, a legislator, I know the, the little nuances that are important, you know, especially when it comes to neighborhoods. And that's why I said I saw a neighborhood cluster mapping because neighborhoods don't like to be cut up. Mm-hmm. They like to stay together. They also like to have their parks together. So if they have a park, don't put that park over in that ward. So if you look at it from that perspective, the the elected officials can help you. Now, on the other side of that is the people will tell you, this is what I do want or what I don't want. And I always find it interesting that everyone assumes they know what people are thinking. Mm -hmm. And then you have a meeting and then you find out what they really think. Yeah. And I also just want to point out to people that uh, commissions can be easily manipulated. There is an article from ProPublica uh, from 2013 that showed how the California Redistricting Commission was totally manipulated by Democratic operatives, and they ended up approving a very Democratic map. I don't know if a similar thing would happen in the city of St. Louis, because I think that there would be a wide range of opinions about how you would want to redraw. But it's going to be an ugly process no matter what, because when you cut something in half, people are going to lose their seats and they're going to run against each other. And I mean, it'll be fun to watch. But, I mean, I don't think it'd be fun to participate in. You may just have people who are on the board now just be like, I don't want to I don't want to run against somebody. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah, so. you're, you're going to have people and then you're going to have other people vying, trying to figure out, well, if it's set up this way, I know I can win. Right. Yeah. So you're going to have both. You're going to have both. But um, I, at, at the end of the day, what I was mostly concerned about was the fact that we need what's called neighborhood stabilization officers, public safety officers. Um, in every single neighborhood, which we don't have right now. And that's where I'd like to see money focus versus, 
you know, I was saying, oh, you know, to save money to cut the board of aldermen in half. I said, no, I wanted to get more people who work in the neighborhoods to make them safer, to make trees, or make sure the trees are trimmed, make sure mm-hmm. our trash is picked up. That's not happening right now. Representative, thank you very much for coming on for all of our stories, stlpr.org. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How could people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? STL Donna B. All right. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. <laughs>